Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to Femdementalists. Um, my name is Mahek. I'm Faiza. And we are super excited today to have an old friend on the podcast. Uh, for our true fans, um, you might remember a couple years ago in a past life, we recorded a couple episodes on his then podcast, um, The Hamza Khan Show, uh, regarding dating in the city. So we have him back now to not talk about dating in the city, although we may talk about marriage in the city. Um, welcome to Hamza Khan. He's a New York-based screenwriter and playwright, um, and you can learn about some of the really, really cool stuff he's doing um, on his website, heyhamzakhan.com. But I will kick it over to him for an intro slash uh, a nice start of bashing me and Hafiza to get us warmed up for this show. First off, uh, it's awesome to see you guys again. Second off, uh, thank you for having me. And third, uh, it was a very generous introduction. Um, it's been a while since we last spoke on air, three of us. Mehek, I did want to follow up. Uh, last time we spoke, you know, for, for the listener's sake, you mentioned how you were, like, annoyed with huge Pakistani weddings, uh, women and men who were rushing to get married, uh, Pakistani people needed to get over themselves and chill, and you were, like, super annoyed, particularly with women who moved to the suburbs so some guy could, you know, with, to, to be with some guy who could be close to friends and family, and you were like so, you were like rolling, the eyes were rolling out of your head. Faz, I think you remember, Mahek's eyes literally rolled out of her head, you know, at the notion of like just pumping out kid after kid and just like the first couple of years of marriage. That being said, I, I know you're a very strong, independent woman. What have you been up to the last couple of years? Hey, That's all those month. views remain unchanged. Can't stand those kinds of people. God, right, right. thank God I don't know any, right? Right, right. Um, Faiza, when we last spoke, I just remember you were, you were super pro- um, pro cop. So, um, I'm sorry for all that's been going on. Yeah. What an em- really embarrassing time. And, uh, people are allowed to change and evolve. Right. So stand by your takes, stand by your takes. Now guys, I'm really happy to be here. How's, uh, how's quarantine? We're so happy you? to have, well, it got us to restart the podcast. So pretty fantastic. I'd say. That's been yeah, a big and we've been, uh, yeah, and we've been the, the most, most consistent, consistent we've ever been. Absolutely. And the, Absolutely. the highest quality audio production ever. I think we're so. actually on track to record more episodes during quarantine than we have over the life of the <laughs> podcast, which is yep. kind of crazy. Uh, but also kind of cool that, like, I still remember Faiza, I don't know if you remember, sitting at Mist in North Brunswick. Years and years and years ago, where we first started talking about this, it had to yeah. have been God. I don't know, 2013, 2014, a really, really long it was time ago. Definitely over five years ago. Yeah, for yeah. sure. When we had this so like nugget really of an idea. cool to see that we're sitting, albeit in the middle of a global pandemic in 2020, uh, still living the dream. So, so how yeah, many and have how a recurring guest? Right. How many hookah bars are named Mist, by the way? I think I think I've heard Mist in like back in Virginia where I grew up, and I think really? it's one of suburban Maryland. I yeah. thought Tarbouche was the poppin' one in Virginia. Uh, I don't I don't smoke. I mean, I go when I'm in town and like home and people are out. Like I'll, I'll meet up with them, so I don't really know. Uh, there's there's Tarbouche. There's I think Mint. There's Tarbouche um, is like the Isna jump off. There's right? Cloud. I don't know. 
Oh, I never went to Isna because I wasn't that obsessed with finding a partner. Marriage, but, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think I never went to Isna just because it seemed horrible. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if there were so, like in retrospect, you know, I'm sure there were like some really interesting academic panels or like just conversations about societal issues or whatever. But it seemed like, at least in my bubble, and I guess maybe for our age group, like I found that it was really just. A lot of people trying to find someone to hook up with or marry or whatever. It, it definitely I, I didn't was. Really hear, yeah, sorry, I didn't hear a lot of fanfare about like the really cool panels and, and, and debates and all that. Yeah, kind of no, stuff. it definitely was. And I, I think in Isna's defense, given that it was such a gigantic gathering, I think like their count was thirty or forty thousand people on the low end for these conventions, right? I think it's impossible to cater to the spectrum of the Muslim audience. Um when the audience is that big. So I think that's why people went just to meet as many people as they could, as opposed to find some really, really quality programming because they had to do some really basic generic stuff uh, to appease to the majority of people. So, but, so you're saying I would have slayed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was described to me as a meat market. It is. When I first heard of it and I was yeah. like, that sounds. A parent sanctioned meat market. Yeah. Which is the best kind of market there is. Um, But this that's neither here nor there. We'll get into uh, dating and marriage and all of that later, perchance. But Hamza, the reason we wanted to have you on the show is because you, by the grace of God, have recovered from having the Rona. And we wanted to kind of hear your experience on it. So, you know, full disclosure... Um, a big motivation to have you on the show is because our quarantine series, if you've had the chance to tune in, has somehow turned very depressing each episode. Like we tried doing one on working from home and turned into DV and how to protect yourself or what to do if you find yourself in that situation. Um, you know, we did one uh, with uh, Sayeda, who's an amazing attorney, and the work she does with um, poverty law, also very depressing. Uh, did one on a friend who moved to China right before the virus started, um, and how depressing the authoritarian government is of China, which she actually couldn't say because she'll get killed. Um, so this is going to be our feel good episode. So no pressure, but that's kind of the goal here to give our listeners a happy story and that not all hope is lost uh, with COVID. Fair? Okay. You up for the challenge? If it's a feel good episode, would it help if I just do like an ASMR version of, of how COVID <laughs> affected my life? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I wish I wanted, we had the for, video that we could publish. I can send one later. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, to be clear, in terms of, I guess, being cured of it, I have tested positive for antibodies. So for what it's worth, um, and basically the science says now, um, and that's coming from me, a non-scientist. Basically, uh, the antibodies uh, are present, and, and hopefully that means I won't get sick again. But the research is very much, you know, uh, in an early stage, and it's not guaranteed that this is going to be exactly like your uh, respiratory illnesses. But assuming it's like all the other ones, then the antibodies meet are a good thing, and hopefully I won't get it again and, and, and get infected, but fingers crossed, inshallah. 
Yeah, um, inshallah. So I guess before we jump in, maybe it helps to kind of give everybody a sense of what this was like from a physical perspective for you, right? When did you start first feeling symptoms? When did you know you had it? Um, really interesting that you were able to get tested for the antibodies too. I am so far removed from all the health information coming out about this, but as far as I knew, testing for the actual virus itself was so difficult. Um, so I assumed that testing after the fact was difficult as well. So, you know, talk us through all of that. What did it feel like? How long did it last? All the good sordid details. Right. Um, as I am sorry, I know you can't get tested because of the whole Wiccan thing, but we'll move on. No reason. But um, I will say that, uh, so basically on the 25th of March, I woke up, had flu-like symptoms, you know, um, the classic cold sweats. I was, I was hot for one second, cold another. Um, I didn't have like a stuffy nose, didn't have a cough, didn't really feel like heavy in the lungs in any way. I was super tired and, I, and like uh, I kind of felt like I had, you know, worked out hard like the last three days for 20 hours a day almost. But, you know, I had just done normal stuff and I just felt terrible. I had a fever. Uh, I talked to some doctor friends. They recommended I get a flu test at the very least. That way you're eliminating what it you know, potentially could or couldn't be. Uh, I went to City MD, which in New York City is like an urgent care. And I went there and the doctor tested me uh, for the flu. So she gave me a flu test and that's like two long swabs, like really long Q-tips that go up your nostrils. It's very uncomfortable. It feels like it's touching your brain, but actually it's going down your throat. Um, and then the doctor asked if I want to take the, COVID, uh, the test for COVID. I said, yes. Then she took a third uh, big swab, put it up another nostril, very uncomfortable. And so she had to send that off to the lab, but I did, but the flu test you hear back in like 10 or 15 minutes, you just sit there and it, and it does it in like a, a tube. And basically turns out I didn't have the flu and the doctor sent me home, you know, and she's, she basically instructed for me to function as if I do have it. Went home, I isolated. Luckily we have um, an apartment with a couple of rooms. So my partner kind of took her, her personal belongings out of the room and, slept in, in, you know, outside of the bedroom. I was isolated in the bedroom. The only time I'd leave would, was to um, go to the restroom. And when I did, I would have to Lysol and Clorox, everything up and down. Um, and basically, uh, I heard back on April 1st from LabCorp that I did have COVID. And um, going back to isolation, basically, um, my fever was gone within 24 hours. The major symptoms were gone within two or three days, but um, I, I was very fatigued, very tired. I felt like I was beaten up um, for like the next month or so where I felt super tired. I felt like I couldn't, um, you know, uh, stay energized for longer than 15 to 20 minutes at a time. I took a lot of naps. Uh, I had to drink a lot of water, a lot of Gatorade. I couldn't really eat proper food for several weeks. But during the actual isolation process, I couldn't eat solid foods. Um, it was like, uh, I had a, a dish called kitchri a lot, which if you're unfamiliar with, you can look it up. It's very delicious. Um, and something you have when you're sick and lentil um, rice or lentil yeah. pilaf, I guess is the porridge correct term. Depending on how you yeah, make it. That's fair. It's, it's similar right. to yeah, that. I think that's a good, I think buttery rice. Is there butter in it? I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Key, you could probably there's make butter in everything. Yeah. Everything right. good has uh, butter. As there should be. So Hamza, hearing your story, there's a couple of things that really stick out to me, right? Um, I was under the impression that 
testing was very, very, very scarce from the jump. So really interesting that as early as late March, where we were just a few weeks into the virus onset, you were able to get tested. I wonder, um, you mentioned that you have a bunch of doctor friends who kind of encourage you to go get tested. Did they direct you to CityMD? Like, did they know where tests were more readily available? Were urgent cares um, able to administer the test more easily or quickly than hospitals at the time, given resource constraints? I can't adequately answer that question. I don't think anybody knew uh, who had what, but I will say that obviously there weren't enough tests for the number of people, the number of potential number of people who, who would need tests. But but from what I gather, you know, when I did mention to the doctor um, that I was like, oh, you have a test. She's like, yeah, you know, they were given a hand. They were given some uh, at the, the early stage of, of the virus. And I, and I, you know, I can't speak more to that only because I don't know. But I, but I will say I assume there's some sort of allotment given, you know, early on, in, 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 you know, when they saw the data. And then I guess they just couldn't produce more until later on. Yeah. Um, so so maybe you were just right sense. place, right time. Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like it. Because it was, uh, the, uh, what, late March, early April was right or right before the peak. Yeah, that was like so, not even a week, two weeks into lockdown. Right. Super early. Right. Um, um, the other thing that I think was really interesting that you mentioned was, sorry to cut you off, um, that you felt even a month later that, you know, your stamina wasn't quite there, um, which is interesting to hear, given that you had, again, you know, by God's grace, a quote unquote mild iteration of the virus, right? You weren't, like you said, you didn't have any crazy respiratory issues. Um, you weren't, thank God, on a ventilator or anything, but you still had lasting effects weeks later. Do you right, feel right. now, what, three months after the fact, do you feel a hundred percent or are there still times where you feel like you're, you know, getting, getting winded, which you may have not before? Um, obviously like, I don't think, you know, I'm in, I'm in the best shape and I need to work on that. But also I think the fact that, you know, gyms are closed and I haven't really been able to hoop, whatever physical activity I have is kind of limited. So I would say it's hard for me to fully gauge kind of where I, I am, but I, I do feel way less tired than I did before. So I think I can better answer that question once uh, New York City hits phase four in 2024 and I go back to the gym. But uh, in the meantime, dude, I'll gyms have to are trust. never opening. Can you imagine right. a room packed with people who are just sweating, <laughs> just droplets everywhere? Right. Not a chance, bro. Right. Well, there's other places you can find that in the city as well. well. That's a different podcast for a different time. But no, I, um, so I think, you know, my, here's the thing I assume I'm all the way back. But that, to me, that's my metric, right? Can I, like, play ball the way I was before, right? Can I yeah. keep up and stuff like that? So I think I'll know then. I don't feel as tired, um, and I'm very grateful. And, I, and one note I do want to mention for the listeners is the, the doctor is very clear about saying the only reason I need to go to the hospital was if I had serious respiratory issues, which I didn't humble off. So so that's one plus. Um, and um, I'm very grateful, and it's awesome uh, to know that uh, I had great – support from my partner and also it wasn't you know it's it's a first world recovery because i'm in a room but i have you know an ipad and i'm comfortable and it's a nice bed and having meals brought to me and, and i think my partner also relished the opportunity to be the caretaker because i'm not very good at asking for help or, or kind of taking it 
So, so it was an opportunity for her to, to baby me, if you will, uh, for which I'm grateful. And uh, overall, I think um, I feel good. In retrospect, I feel very fortunate. And I, even at the time, at, at the end of the day, you know, what control do we really have as people against the virus? You know, we can take precautions, we can protect, but there is no cure. You can do your part to not spread it to other people. But when I did have it, I did feel bad. It was kind of like it's inevitable and I can only do what I can do, you know? So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to hear a little more about kind of the emotional experience you had going through it. You mentioned, um, you know, obviously we don't have control over anything and all things considered, you were very fortunate. You are very fortunate, not just to have recovered, not just to have had a mild case and then to have recovered, but also to have the comforts that you did while you were trying to get through it. Right. Um, but still, I can't imagine in the early weeks of a global pandemic getting the news that you have the virus. I can't imagine that's like an easy thing to hear, right? To stress you the F out, anxiety through the roof, trying Again, to get Xanax off the black market. Right. Um, I don't need to get it from there. But um, I will say, I Pass honestly. Me some police. Right. I, honestly, I don't. Uh, this is not to sound glib, but I think I had a, I would say for me, my experience, it was like the flu times five. I felt very bad. I was very uncomfortable. I was sick. But I also, I think knowing that so many other people had it way worse than I did and so many people don't have the uh, privileges that I do and the resources that I do, I think that's something I'm always thinking about. And especially in this case, um, the worst for me was I just felt a little bit bad, but, but I don't think um, emotionally it was uh, that tough for me or it was a roller coaster. It was more about you feel bad, you know, looking at the data, and it hurts you um, to know that the country is ill-equipped to deal with it, and there's lots of people who need help. And I think that was very frustrating and scary because, uh, you know, going back uh, several years, I've, you know, I've mentioned this before, but every so often, a few times a year, you'll read in major publications or you'll see on TV, et cetera, the WHO and CDC and similar organizations say, we as a people in this world are not prepared for these, uh, you know, uh, pandemics. And uh, so I kind of always talked it up to like, what are we going to do? You know, humans will get sick and, and, and bad stuff will happen. But the more, you know, throughout that week when I was sick, the more I found out that we could have prepared and we could have, you know, taken steps to be ready. That was a little bit frustrating. But on a personal level, I don't think I felt any kind of uh, sadness about my particular case or anything like that. Perhaps I would have felt different if I, if I was in the hospital. Um, or something like that. Maybe I'd feel different, but you know. Good for you. Maybe I'm just projecting, but I feel like if I was in your position, I would just make myself even sicker with the thought of, you know, what if this takes a turn for the worse? So good for you for being uh, more normal and rational. (laughs) The healthiest perspective you could have given all the misinformation that we had in the beginning, right? Because the, and just the the sheer abundance of the information, right? Misinformation and just too much of it where, you know, all the data coming out of China was elderly folk are much more likely to be uh, hit hard or infected. Uh, Young people are okay. Don't worry about it. And then you had young people start getting it and getting it really bad and and ending up in the hospital and ventilators and all these kinds of horror stories. And so I think, and then reports saying that China was not accurately producing their data either. 
And that's why my sister, she's a public health professional. She was like, I feel like I'm an alarmist or like I'm the crazy person because I'm seeing all this data. We already know that China's notoriously close-fisted with their with the information coming out of there. We don't know what this is and people are being so blase about it. Um, and I think to your point, Hamza, it's probably that, that perspective, like this could be much worse and it's sad and crazy making to see how ill prepared we were for it, but also taking into account how lucky slash still are. Yeah. Right. And and I also, I mean, we're rolling out these reopenings with no real plan of what we're going to do when, and not if, when the cases surge again. Sure. Well, there's a question for, for, for both of you. Had, do you, do you feel like, God forbid either of you had gotten sick or both of you had gotten sick, do you feel like maybe you would have been one of those types of people who, when you reemerge from the illness, you have a new lease on life and maybe you make a drastic change? Or is it like some little changes or do you feel like you do the same exact thing? And maybe that's too broad of a question, but I'd love to hear because uh, one thing I did think about was for those people who perhaps, you know, chose not to pursue a dream or perhaps more conservative than, you know, things they did in their personal life or business life, what have you, um, maybe after coming out of something like this, they would, or, or the quarantine in general, right? I think post COVID, are they going to pursue that dream or ask that person to, to, you know, for forgiveness or whatever they want to do. Right. So I wonder what, what do you think you guys are going to approach a post COVID role with, with a different look and beyond the public so health and I don't policy think- part? I don't think I can answer this question fairly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, the reason I keep asking you and harping on your emotional experience with this is because, like I said, I think I'm a little bit projecting. Um, I really think I would have been swallowed by depression slash will be swallowed by depression if I contract this disease, but especially if it had happened to me in March around the time you had it right. I delivered my son on March 14th. And if I had to, in the weeks following his birth, isolate from him and my daughter for a two week period or longer, um, depending on how sick I got 100%, like my postpartum hormonal situation, postpartum willpower, postpartum rationality, like all bad across the board, (laughs) zeros. Right. Um, 100 i would have handled it very 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 embarrassingly poorly so so real quick that's more from the mom angle um like that's where all that's coming from not just not just mom angle right not just like oh my god i need to be with my son so i can nurse him or whatever i think just like emotionally it would have been really taxing like the idea of isolation to the, and I say this full well, acknowledging that I'm an introvert by nature, but the idea of forced isolation, I don't know, that makes me a little queasy. Right. I mean, uh, looking at the room you're in right now by the video chat, I think it's 18,000 square feet. So, I, you know, isolation for you would be acres. I'd love um, isolating in my house. But that's what I'm saying. Victorian. Like, that's, I'm like choosing to isolate, right? I can go downstairs and I can interact. If I had to stay in the confines of one space, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like I said, it would have been embarrassingly poor in my reaction. Isa? Um, well, now I feel bad about what I'm going to say. No, keep it real. <laughs> I think 
quarantine has given me a lot of clarity. Um, it's given me, and I think it's because I am an introvert by nature and uh, living and working in New York City, you're always on the go and finding time for yourself and quietude is very difficult and having an abundance of it, I think has forced me to really examine certain parts of my life and take things more seriously. Um, I don't think it's just coronavirus. I think it's just uh, like the world in general being a dumpster fire, which is kind of given me this pseudo existential crisis. But it has made me reframe my thought process and also um, recognize just how short life is and uh, how I'm my biggest enemy and my biggest hurdle and achieving things that I want to achieve. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely made me think and act more on the things that I realize I want to do. So I've been, um, I'm, I'm very close to finishing a book that I've been working on for the past like 10 years. Um, hey. I started the podcast up again and you know, I've been thinking about like, okay, once this does end, what are the things that I want? What are the things that I want to take advantage of with the time that I will have and be able to like go outside and do things like going to the mu? I haven't gone to a museum in the city in like a couple of years. Like going to the museum because I love going to the Met and right. the National History, like all of those things. Doing those things that I took for granted when I had the ability to do it very easily. Um, so, yes, in a weird way. It has given me, um, a, a, like, time to f- really focus and not distract myself. And I'm the queen of distracting myself and compartmentalizing, and I can't really do that anymore. So. Well, to be honest, Faiza, from one writer to another, that's the key to writing is being distracted, I think. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it, it's weird when I meet someone, they're like, yeah, I just finished this, this thing I had to write. I, I met my deadline, and now I'm done. Let's yeah, do flags. you have a life? Do you have right, friends right. and a family? Exactly. <laughs> But I will say, though, right, and related to that, though, I think, honestly, maybe I'm very fortunate, though, that when I was sick, I was able to read and write, which is, you know, I'm about what I get to do for a living. So I think maybe if I was taken away from the thing that I really want to do and and something that, you know, is a big part of my life, maybe I would have felt differently. Uh, So I can understand that I probably sound really pompous, but I was very lucky and my cards kind of fell perfectly uh, in front of me and, and uh, relative to, to so let's turn it back to you, Hamza. Do you feel like um, going through it gave you a different perspective, a different focus, a different energy? Uh, I at thirty four, I think, and I'm going to be thirty five in a couple months. I realize I shouldn't take my health for granted, but uh, beyond like you know wanting to eat better and exercise more. Uh, no, I, I think the other stuff I've always, maybe it's cause you grew up Muslim and, and every Friday you're at the mosque and, uh, despite, you know, how good the khutbah, which is the sermon is, uh, the whole religion and the whole faith is kind of like, you could, your time on this earth could end at any moment. So make sure you're maxing out your ability to be a kind and generous and, and, and giving person, you know? And so like, I feel like that's always kind of been the way I look at it in the sense of, um, max out every minute of every day and i you know and i don't mean to be some like 12 minute youtube video about it like really i think um i i don't really feel like i'll approach life much differently beyond the health part 
or that I feel extra motivated. I think I was motivated before. Um, and that's kind of it for me. I hope that it served as a catalyst for others in that sense, but you know, because, because what other reality check do you need, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's impossible for it to have not served as a reality check, right? Even for people who do hear those daily or weekly reminders, it's different when you see it IRL. Right? It's okay. different when you okay. see it in real life. I have a story that's kind of related to that. You guys remember in Hawaii, like several years ago, like a fault, like an alert went out. Uh, it was a mistaken alert from the government yes. about that missile. Yes. And people yes, legitimately yeah. on, on, I can't remember which island, thought they were going to die. Yeah. It was a matter of minutes. And what's interesting is I was in Los Angeles with some friends. We met someone and we were talking to him and he was telling us how um, he heard it. And he, I think he was with his brother and sister at the time, but his parents were elsewhere in like Los Angeles. He and his siblings were in Hawaii. And basically he told me he felt nothing and he didn't want to call his parents. He didn't want to bother them. He sat there. And then like his sister got an alert telling, you know, telling them that was a, it was a false alarm. And he was like, honestly, I didn't feel any, any different. Nothing changed. And we finished our vacation. We went back home to Los Angeles and I saw my parents and I'm still doing what I did before. And I'm, this is it. And it was very interesting, right? I mean, look, to each their own, there's billions of people on this planet, whatever their path is, is their path. But I I suppose I was blown away by that story because somewhere I thought there was going to be this moment of, you know, I'm the American Idol or I'm going to be an astronaut or whatever. And it was so fascinating to know to, to, to kind of like hear his experience about that. Um, and I, I think about this story all the time. That, well, that story and the guy, a guy named Jason Glasso who quit sync because he didn't think the band was going anywhere. I think about him every week only because like, how, how could you feel? You know what I mean? You're like, oh, oh my God. this isn't going to happen. And, he, and then Lance came in who ended up being a better singer. But I'm saying, think about Y'all are deadbeats. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this isn't going to happen. And guess what? You know, like, I think that's, that's something I think about a lot is like these stories of people who had an opportunity and then like leave something early, you know, like right before and then it ends up, but you know, it's hindsight, right? Who knows? Yeah, I will say, I mean, that's a really interesting story. Not the NSYNC one, the Hawaii one. I don't know. And obviously you don't know what your reaction is going to be until it happens to you, but I don't know very many people who would have that reaction, right? I think the thing about, Corona that's been so earth shattering for people is that we have no freaking idea. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know who it's going to ravage, how much is going to ravage them, how long it's going to last. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave, a fifth wave, no additional waves. Like we have no idea. And I think that uncertainty, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who isn't a little, if not extremely, apprehensive about it. I mean, the closest. But again, maybe I'm projecting. Yeah, I feel like the closest experience that could be like analogous to that is. So I live in Astoria, and not too far away from the Con Ed plant. So it was earlier this year where there was a fire, and oh, the yeah. whole sky lit up, and I was sitting in the front room which faces the Con Ed plant. And the and I remember th- looking, it was like nine o'clock at night and I looked outside and I was like, what time is it? Because it looked like daylight. 
and I and then there was this strange humming sound uh and I and uh, I just I started calling for Eric who's my partner who's sitting in the back room he comes running out my first thought was my cats I was like, I just need to get my cats, <laughs> get them to safety. He was like, we need to go outside. And I was like, nope, we need to get away from the windows. So we just went straight into like crisis survival mode, like all running through all of the weird little things you taught about earthquakes and tornadoes, like get into a bathtub and stay away from any kind of glass or like get under stuff. Wait, but why was, do you get into a bathtub for an earthquake? Bathtubs? I, or, I think it's training. tornadoes. Uh Tubs are like the safest place to be in tornadoes. They usually uh, like last because of like what they're made out of or yeah. the structure. So like the one, whenever you see footage of like a, uh, the aftermath of a tornado, the well, tubs I'm are usually the only thing. years old, I got this <laughs> no, life saving you know. critical skill. You learn something every time in this podcast. Uh, but I remember that being, and then it, it was just like I was thinking, this is like a, a missile or some kind of nuclear event or an alien invasion, whatever it is. Yes, UFOs. Down. Yeah, which would have been great. We would have been much better off if it was an alien invasion than we are right now. Um, but that was my first thought, was just like hunker down. And then I started just texting everybody that I possibly could to be like, this just happened. We're fine. Oh, I thought you were going to say you started texting to say, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it it lasted very... It felt like forever, but it was probably like less than five minutes. But I did contact like my neighbor downstairs to be like, are you seeing this? Or is this like, am I tripping? What the fuck is happening right now? And then I got texts from other people being like, is everything okay? We heard this or we saw it from like FIDI. Um, because that's how like the sky had just lit up. But that's the closest yeah, I've come crazy. to some kind of near death. For listeners, just so you guys know, FIDI is a financial district, which is lower Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Astoria yeah, yeah. is to be which is confused. very far from right. Very so, but that, just to give context, yeah, like it would be yeah. a big deal to see that from Fida. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Very far. Um, well, well, Fida, like on on this, did anything? Did you have that like life or, or some moments flashing before your eyes, or were you more so just trying to logistically take care of your cats? Um, I think it was like a processing thing. It was just like this is very strange. I have no frame of reference for it right it's just the sky is this turquoise blue and there's a humming sound i don't know what this is i just need to get to safety that's what the the thought process was and i also feel like it was cerulean it was yeah it was so. whatever some shade of uh, unnatural blue um that's never a lot of reference for anyone who yes cerulean uh but um i don't know i feel like a lot of my i'm very good in a crisis is the thing I feel like a lot I've uh, my life has been not to get too cynical or sad but it, I've, I've experienced a lot of tragedy and, and sure. trauma and so right. for, for me like I said like I can compartmentalize very easily so in that moment it was like straight up survival mode like we need to get to safety I need to get these cats in their carrier and under something and we just need to like hunker down and be safe um and after that, I, there wasn't, it was just a, it was just relief. Like, oh shit. Okay. I'm just glad that I found out what it is. And it's not something that I need to worry about going forward. And then it happened again, actually a couple months later, but it, it just didn't make the news because everybody knew what it was. Um, right. But I think the, I've had bigger and scarier moments before that happened that mm -hmm. have kind of helped me navigate those kinds of feelings. But yeah, I think the um, thing is, like, Corona isn't a moment, right? 
Yeah. Like we're, we're four months deep and, you know, back in March, they were saying, oh, things should be better by the summer. Then slowly turned into, okay, things are going to be better by the fall. Now, like not even end of 2020, nothing is well, this, going to be yeah, quote unquote normal is... for years. Right. Um, I mean, this so is the new normal. I think that's yeah. the thing is that's what people are having a really hard time adjusting to is like masks. Yeah in public are going to be the new normal. That's what a lot of Asian countries do. You see a lot of tourists from Asian countries wearing masks, not because they're afraid of getting something. It's because they're, they don't want other people to get it. Right. So I think that's something that Americans are going to have a hard time grappling with because we like our quote unquote independence and freedom. And so the idea that this is going to affect the rest of our lives is a hard thing to a hard pill to swallow. Right. And I suppose uh, with respect to the masks, I feel like it's literally the easiest thing we can do. Uh, Faisal, do you feel like when you step out, do you see, like, what percentage of people would you say are not wearing uh, masks? Fuck, man, that's hard. I feel like Astoria, because I'm in the uh, sleepier part of Astoria, um, we, it. I know I took it very seriously just because, like I said, my sister's a public health official. I am a paranoid person by nature. Uh, so is my partner. So we were very, very careful. I don't think people in Astoria felt it as much. It's a fairly residential. Uh, a lot of families, a lot of uh, immigrant families that have been here for a very long time, tight-knit community. And I think people just felt like this is something that's happening in Manhattan. Even though Queens had the highest rate of infections, it just it didn't seem to affect people nearly as much as it should have, I feel like. Uh, there was a period of time when I'd go to the park and most people were wearing masks, but I've noticed that a lot, there's a lot less of that now and a lot less social distancing and people think, yeah, whether it's fatigue or just not taking it seriously, whatever it is. uh, It's not, it's not the compliance rate that I would like to see. Right. Absolutely. I don't know if you saw on like Twitter, but there was that footage of yesterday in Hell's Kitchen, like restaurant row. Uh, and like they were going through it and people, pretty much people were outside just eating and it looked like a mall food court. And I suppose, I don't know, for me, like, obviously we live in a city with great food, particularly you in Astoria that I think has amazing food. But like, Yeah, very lucky. Yeah, it's okay to just like pick it up and take it home or cook it home. And I suppose I don't have this desire that so many people do to want to like go somewhere and be outside and eat so quickly. Um, I, I guess I don't, really don't get it. I know people don't like being cooped up, but I suppose for me, it's been a matter of the guilt and, and, and I would hate to know that I was responsible for getting someone else sick. Do you feel like, yeah. um, do you feel like it's people perhaps maybe are being contrarian and kind of have lost the belief in it? Or do you feel like they're blocking that the science part out and the, the hype, the, the hype part out and really just, they just want to go out and, and feel normal. I think it's the latter. I think it's a, a, a sense of, I think it's fatigue, right? Because there's only so long where you can wipe down your groceries with bleach and uh, spray yourself down and hand sanitize everything uh, before you're just like, fuck, this isn't even worth it, right? Like, it's like that calculate, taking that calculated risk. Um, 
So I think it's a lot of fatigue. I know I felt it. I know I, I took a calculated risk where I, I went down to Delaware last weekend with a friend of mine to visit uh, a friend who's moving away. And we were like, but we also had that conversation a month before to be like, we're going to, this is the date. Everybody be super careful in the weeks leading up. And I'm not taking public trans and we're, her and I are going to uh, road trip down. And we literally just stayed inside the entire time. But that was a calculated risk we were willing to take. And we tried to do it as responsibly as we could, I think what we're seeing in the city and in what I see in Astoria Park isn't fatigue anymore. It's just like people thinking that they can return to their normal lives when there is no evidence to support that this virus is going away. If anything, it's spiking all across the country and we have a horrible rate of uh, fl- we haven't flattened the curve. We're essentially, we never even got out of the first wave to begin with for people to be like out and about, like, right. you know, nothing changed. Well, I think also the fact that some cities are starting to reopen, albeit in phases, um, it's confusing, right? Because on one end, you're hearing these really scary reports about not just the surges that are coming, the different waves that are coming, but also the different manifestations of the virus. Um, and then on the other hand, you hear, okay, we're now going to phase two. Like Albany is supposed to go into phase four in less than a week, which seems crazy. Like there's five phases, right? That means we're 80% there. That's insane. So I don't, I don't know how much of the reopening is um, – socially motivated knowing that people are just like the anxiety the emotions are just at an all-time high and you have to kind of start opening things back up um i don't know i don't know i mean i i look at it as the government just putting profit over people um they've just prioritized the economy over the wealth of their the health of their their citizens right like there is no reason for Florida was saying that churches are an essential service and they were they like close their beaches for like a week. And now look at Florida. They've had a ridiculous amount of cases and they're, they're spiking all over the place. And so I think it's just, Texas is supposed to be super crazy as well. Texas is, is just getting Texas, destroyed. Arizona, like all of these States, they prioritize their economy and, and some in like some twisted way to like show the libs, right. To own us but they're letting their citizens die. And it's just, uh, this is going to be my anti-capitalist screed for the, this episode. And this is what happens when you live in a (laughs) capitalist, uh, society is just like you, you people are willing to let their grandmothers die in order to like make a couple of hundred bucks off of some random stock purchase, you know, like they just, it is what it is for them. And it isn't until it directly affects them that they're like, oh, shit, maybe this is real. That's a very strong point. And I, I, you know, at the end of the day, in my opinion, is also at the the root of all problems is capitalism, unfettered capitalism. There will always be more and less. But I suppose um, I will say that in the last several years, I stopped looking at people as good and evil and more thinking about beyond the people who, you know, are biologically wired to, to be uh, the way they are once in a blue moon. I feel like we're obviously all victims of circumstance and products of our environment and upbringing, et cetera, right? So I started thinking in terms of capitalism and these people who, I feel like there's a lot of people who in a better environment 
would think differently, but I think the system of economics of economics and this false scarcity is so deeply ingrained in so many people across the world, particularly in America, that we might mean well in our heart, but our brain maybe tells us the only way to survive in this country, you know, where healthcare is is aligned with your job and you have student loans and, and groceries are expensive and all this other stuff, I think we can only think in terms of survival, which is opening, reopening the economy and kind of being consumers. Does that make sense? So, so I, I think the older Hamza 10 years ago would be so angry at people and want to just like point the finger. But I'm finding out that I think if people, I'll put it this way. If we had a very robust UBI system or we're doing what Canada does, where we gave people a couple grand a month or, or Belgium does, et cetera, and we had universal health care and we were taking care of people, we would feel more like a community because capitalism also kind of divides us in the sense of, again, false scarcity. We feel like if, if X takes this, then there's only this much for Y and this much for me, et cetera. And, and I think, in my opinion, which is completely unsolicited, of course, uh, I think we would approach this very differently and in a much healthier and holistic manner if everyone felt a little bit more safe, a little bit more comfortable knowing if they keep the restaurant closed, if they keep this ad agency closed, I will be okay. My kids will be okay. And we can rebuild together. But I think because of the way we've lived in this country and people were, you know, we, so many of us don't have enough savings and we're, we're just getting by and some parents can't retire, et cetera. And it's an aging population. It's all these factors make us so fearful that I think we make very rash and uh, illogical decisions based off of the limit. The only logic we have is I have to work to make money to survive. I would, I, I totally agree, Hamza, but I would take it even maybe in a different direction. I think capitalism drives individualism and that's like the core, like it, in no other situation does it shine or become as apparent as it does in a pandemic, right? So I don't think about people as evil versus good. I think about them as selfish versus not selfish. And I think you're seeing now everybody's selfishness just so readily apparent. Like, I don't care if XYZ grandmother dies, as long as I can go out and get, you know, my money or my chill time or, you know, have my birthday party or have my wedding or whatever it is. Right. And, yeah, and I, I, I don't know how much Sorry, I don't want to. So I don't want to again rail on this one particular topic. But my argument was that I think the people who we're putting in under the column of selfish, I think that the way we've lived in this country, these circumstances have led them to believe that that's what they have to do to get by. I swear to God, I truly believe that we all grew up knowing no matter what, we'll still be okay and we'll be relatively comfortable. No, but Hamza, like I, the I frat boy they, who's it, going. The frat boy who's going to Florida to, you know, I guess we're past the point of spring break at this point, but to like chill with his friends, he's not doing that because he feels like he has to, to, you know, make his rent or make sure he has food or whatever. That's purely a selfish, like, I don't give an F who's dying of Corona. Like I'm 21. I got a six pack. I'm out to party. I got to go get my girls. In my eyes, that's purely selfishly mo motivated. And maybe that's a very, very small subset. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think the vast majority of people are doing a lot of what they're doing because the government isn't providing them the assistance they need to continue their lives in a 
sustainable fashion, right? They're not providing the resources. Right. I think um, that's a symptom of what, what Hunza, you just, I feel like articulated what I've been trying to say over the past few podcasts about why capitalism is bad and why we should have voted for Bernie Sanders. But I, so I feel like that the, in, the, the example of the frat boys, and there were a, a lot of, of people who chose to go on spring bake regard, disregarding the real, like, um, risk of COVID. Yeah, the yeah. real consequences is because one of this and uh like uber capitalist society that we live in that prioritizes the individual over the community and the sense of American exceptionalism that gives us this false sense of like security, right? Like this doesn't it doesn't affect me directly and therefore I am invincible and I don't need to worry about it. That's something else that's something that other people have to worry about in other parts of the country. Which is, you know, why you're seeing, I think it's the same th- same kind of sentiment you have with the Black Lives Matter protests and why people get so angry over it, right? And like why people are angry over property destruction over the death of and the murder of innocent Black men because it's something that seems so foreign because of this idea of individual individualism and exceptionalism, like... I think it's just a symptom of it. We've seen it throughout, right? Like, I can't tell you how many people I know that voted for Trump because they thought he was going to be the best for their taxes, right? How many very wealthy people I know who voted for Trump? Yeah. Minority. Disies who voted for Trump. Muslims. And I know, like, Asian Americans. Yeah. And that was a very real thing. And... Uh, I, and it's, it goes back to that, right? This like, well, it's going to help me and I'll get a, a, a couple of bucks back on my taxes and all the other policies that he's been touting. But, yo, don't worry. I'm not a racist. Yeah. Or, or I'm the, not xenophobic. Or it can't happen. No one's going to actually let him do the things that he's saying. Like there won't be a Muslim ban. He won't yeah. put babies in cages and all, you know, he's, he's not conspiring with Russia that, or, or that there will be people in the white house that'll keep him in check. And that, is exactly what didn't happen. All the anonymous so the people who decided to write books and op-eds. Right. And, and that's like, that was the risk they were willing to take because he promised them more money back on their taxes or on their paycheck. And I think it's just like that. This really, it's like, it's a straight up disease. It's a sickness within this country where people are willing to put profit over community. So anyway, thanks, Hamza. You had one task to give us an uplifting episode. Exactly. No. Um, this went okay, exactly how I thought it was going to. Up, uplifting. <laughs> what uh, have you guys had the luxury of being able to watch any shows or films over the break? So many, too many. I don't even know what's too on many. Netflix anymore. I don't even know too what I've What did I just actually just? This isn't. Uh, this isn't uplifting. Or it's a, it's a kind of cynical upload, which is on Amazon. It's by Greg Daniels, who created The Office on Parks and Rec. It's a new show of his, and it's set in the future. It's kind of like the cynical The Good Place, because he also right. created that. Um, so it's it's set in the future, and it's it, the people who are dying can be uploaded into digital consciousness uh, and experience oh, the afterlife. That sounds kind of cool. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I haven't finished it yet. I think I have like a couple episodes left to go, but that's been uh, good to watch. I'm trying to think what else have I watched. I've watched so many things. Like so you was- said you are, uh, are you all caught up on Insecure now? Yes, finished it. Great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm not Insecure? caught up. I have, I have a couple. I love that show, but I'm not caught up. 
Okay. Uh, for this season, I got a couple more. The big ending, but but I guess oh, real yeah. quick, I would love to comment. Wait, can on... I can I plug my two shows that I really liked yeah, yeah, that yeah, I've please. been watching? Um, one was the Swedish drama Caliphate. I think it was on Netflix. It could have been on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I don't really know. They all kind of blur together. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting look into the way ISIS operates and recruits. Um, and probably extra interesting because I watched it right after I had finished the podcast by the same name. Also fascinating um, and a bit of a mind F. And the other show that I really, really liked, um, not in the slightest bit uplifting, it's called The Act on Hulu. It's about the story of Dee Dee Blanchard, um, the woman with Mun- Munchausen by proxy um, and her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend who ultimately killed and then following that, I watched the HBO documentary on the same case, Mommy, Mommy Dead and Dears, both fantastic, fantastic. I watched the documentary, which was Wild. horrifying and also like, titillating. <laughs> if there's really ever wild. a time to use that word, it is in reference to that documentary. It is it insane. If you get a chance to even watch one episode, Afiza, of the act, yeah. To see how effing accurately the actors who portrayed yeah, Gypsy out, yeah. and Nick play. Oh my God. Oof. Oh my that just gives me chills. Okay, I want to watch it. Give them oh, all God. the money. It's crazy. What are you watching, Hamza? Uh, a lot of stuff. I, Except I for your own on. shows or your own <laughs> uh, No, no, no. Uh, that's, that's all I do is I, I have people over and I do script readings of my own work. <laughs> and um, uh, no, I, I caught up on a lot of stuff on FX that I always thought was really awesome because I think they have really strong programming. Um, I've watched uh, Better Things, which I very much enjoyed. I think that's a really, really fantastic show. A new show called Breeders, uh, which is about parenting and, and kind of a, a couple in the UK, which I very much enjoyed. Um, and uh, those are two shows that I, I and I'm caught up in Secure. I watched a lot of other stuff as well, but I do want to kind of want to touch real quick. We don't have to talk about you know, the climactic moments, but this rift that's going on between Molly and Issa and kind of friendships. And do we feel like there was a, there was an interesting uh, op- op-ed this week that made the rounds on the web and we can link to that, but I talked about, it made a little bit of a focus on female friendships and how perhaps, but in friendships in general and relationships in general that, we feel almost like we can't break up with friends and we, we should perhaps treat friendships the way we treat relationships of couples therapy and communicating and talking it out. Do you guys feel like that's fair that maybe we should approach? Um, and I agree with most of it, by the way, that we should approach friendships the way we do relationships. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, my, f- most, all of my friendships have lasted longer than my relationships up until this point. Um, and I've had falling out, I've had falling outs with, um, a couple of friends over the years and it was because we didn't communicate properly and we let resentment build. And then all of a sudden somebody snapped and then that was it. That friendship died, you you know? And I think that's, uh, I don't know about counseling. That's an interesting idea. I think if the relationship were, important enough to me like if my my best friend who's also my cousin if there was something that happened between us like I would absolutely want to go to counseling and repair that you didn't feel like you could communicate communicate yeah yeah exactly yeah 
Let me ask you guys, Jeff, from Molly and Issa, could we, could you guys accept that they just couldn't be friends anymore? Cause maybe they grew uh, in different into different people. Hundred percent. I I can count like five friends that's happened to me. With. Yeah, there's a yes, definitely. I mean, there are people that I've grown apart from, and just like we don't have anything in common anymore, or very little in common anymore, and we can't relate to each other like we did when we were in like high school or college. Um, but I think with Isa and Molly, I think it's less of a growing apart and more of just like miscommunication and and not appreciating what the other person is trying to do. At least that's how I viewed it. It's like, they're not so going I, apart. They're just not talking to each other the way they should. I'm not caught up okay. um, it, on Insecure. So I don't even know what Rift, like the last episode I saw, they were cool. They were doing yoga while high. In, oh, you're like uh, very early on in this I'm, season. Yeah, okay. I think I'm like two episodes in. I got a okay. lot to do. I got I got caught up in Munchausen by proxy. <laughs> I got caught up in like the morbid shit that I love. Um, but I will say... God, what was I going to say now? Now you got me thinking about insecure. Um, oh, miscommunication, right? I think, yeah, I think to um, Faiza's point, or I don't even know if you made this point. I think sometimes <laughs> it is drifting. Sometimes it's an actual issue. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding or a miscommunicated yeah. issue, right? Um, and I've had all of the three um, but I've also had instances where a miscommunication or something or not even an actual issue led to a falling out, but the relationship was important enough to me that, you know, weeks, months, year, I think one friend I made up with after like two years of not speaking with at all. Um, so I, I think it also depends on the soul of the friendship, how important it is to you. I've had friends where they drifted and like, I don't care. It is what it is. The older you get, your time becomes much more constrained. Um, work gets in the way, commitments get in the way, social, family, all of these things. Um, but again, I think for certain friendships that are important enough, you are able to look past whatever it was, whether you have nothing in common anymore, whether the person said some really awful things, um, whether you think the person said some really awful things whatever it is. So that being yeah, said, when quarantine hopefully ends, uh, where do you guys want to take your homies trip? Oh, we already decided this. Actually, we're going to do, uh, <laughs> just my heck and I are going, no, um, a couple, of, a couple I will go anywhere. <laughs> You're welcome to come take to this trip. Anywhere. We, um, we're doing a redo of a trip that we went on a couple of years ago. We went to Mexico uh, so we're going to redo that trip and go to a better resort because our resort wasn't great. So we want to. Uh, I know. I hear Tulum is the hot spot. I don't know. We were thinking we looked at Tulum and the rates, the nightly rates for those hotels were insane. It was like eight hundred dollars a night. So we were like, no, never mind. Uh, are you so looking at all inclusives, Faisa? Yeah, we're looking at all. Inc- we are also admittedly being super bougie and looking at a villa. Um, Dude, all so. inclusives are the move. Can I say the one adult thing only that, all inclusives? They yeah. are the move. Yeah. I've uh, I heard from uh, I heard from both of you insane, and uh, I didn't hear a bananas. And this is reminding me greatly of Rachel Zoe. So let's pull one out for her. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rachel Zoe, <laughs> yeah. but, but I've heard. But that's been the theme. And every time you guys say insane or with the pause, pops into my head. I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> Favorite episode when she's pregnant. 
and her husband's like, we got to go to the hospital. We got to, I don't know if you remember that. And she like, can't decide what clothes to pack. That's my favorite episode. Uh, this is like a real window into your psyche. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, listen, I'm an open book. I, I, uh, I'm a fan of hers. Um, and and uh, I wish she was still on the air. But she does have her own line, and I know she sells on QVC. And her pitches are unbelievable. Ooh, I have Insane. a friend who works for QVC. I'm going to need to check this out and get that Buh- discount. Nanas. Nanas. <laughs> there it is. I love it. Um, so we usually wrap up with like a lesson learned. I know we kind of touched on this, but like, what has this time taught you or, or revealed insecure. to you about yourself? What is insecure or insecure? You? Yeah, there are a lot of lessons a to be learned. Quarantine or the last hour? Both. Both. You know what? Both. Um. Yes. Yes. Tell us what <laughs> lessons Faiza and I have taught you. Yes, please. What knowledge so the, have the I last- imparted onto you? The last hour has taught me is um, there are people who know the keys to uh, who have the keys on how to to uh, apply the perfect foundation. So thank you both. Um, and in terms of no, I'm joking, but like in all seriousness, I think the last hour has taught me is I think uh, the fundamentalists have some great chemistry, and uh, I am looking forward to the remaining episodes of Quarantine and Beyond. And in terms of uh, quarantine, I think what I've learned is it's important to put in work into anything you want to pursue, particularly friendships, family, and personal relationships. I think um, there's no excuses now for not being able to make, again, if you have the privilege to do it, for not being able to make, you know, a quick FaceTime call or a phone call or write a note to a friend. I think uh, there's no there's no time for excuses. And uh, I have a feeling that a lot of people's friendships and relationships are going to be uh, changing or they already have. So I think we're going to see kind of kind of a new wave post COVID, but uh, that's what I've learned is it's really important to maintain doing the work. Otherwise, before you know it, you can you know lose friends and in a couple of days pass, a couple of weeks pass, and it's been months since you spoke, and that's very sad. So. For sure, um, the last hour has taught me that I need to be more emotionally mature and handle my future. Corona diagnosis with the positivity and strength that Hamza has shown. So, thank you, Brother Hamza, for your inspiration. You're welcome. It doesn't help that you're watching those documentaries and shows about. I know. You know, you know my husband says that to me all the time. He's like convinced that's why I'm so up and down with emotions, especially postpartum. It's because I watch all these crazy things, but I love it though. Were you stable before? Uh, another episode, another time. Insane. What have you learned? Um, or, or have so, you already shared? Uh, no, I think I could, I can uh, come up with something new. Um, so one, I will take that foundation compliment because I'm not wearing any makeup. It's all oh, Hannah, That's the key. All Accutane, baby. Um, and so what I've learned... I actually, I, it also applies to my larger lesson from quarantine is that there are, a, that I'm not in the minority when I think about when um, I get upset over capitalism and I appreciate the way you were able to frame it, Hamza, and that it's this false scarcity. 
that the government also propagates. But that's another another episode for another time. But I think that, um, but to tie it to the larger point is, uh, so I live in Astoria and AOC just had a resounding victory here. And mm-hmm. I w- went out- landslide victory against an opponent that was backed by corporations big money and she was a dem- and ran as a democrat and so and we're seeing it all across new york city these progressives real true progressives winning in districts that um were either backed by establishment dems or republicans um you're seeing it across the country and so it gives me hope because for a long for the past couple weeks if not longer i think for the past few years that trump has been in office there has been a real dearth of hope. And so it's really heartening to see that. Um, it's also really heartening to see people come out in support of the unjust uh, killings of people and the unjust incarceration of protesters. Um, and so uh, I'm really, I'm cautiously optimistic about the future and um Hope I, I think can. heartened is a great word, Faiza. I think that's yeah. a great way to put it. That yeah. Shout out to it, the young It gives people. you a little glimmer of hope, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hamza, like, shout out to these Gen Zers for, like, really, they're, like, actually doing the work and putting their money where their mouth is, for real. It's like, buy, get, reserving all those fucking tickets for the Trump rally and yeah. uh, coming up with those these kick starters and GoFundMes and things like that. It's amazing. It's really, really cool to see. Um, and thank you guys for having me on. Uh, to no, the thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure. I'll, I'll, I'll join again anytime. It means a lot. And uh, I'm really loving this season. Thank you so much. This was so fun. And we look forward to having you back because I still want to grill you about how you went from um, also sharing in our misery about dating in the city to now being happily married. So we'll have you back and maybe oh, I never, I never coerce uh, your partner. Had a, I had a fantastic dating experience. So, <laughs> I feel like um, you had some bitter, bitter views to share with us, or was that just our bitterness that overshadowed? Whatever. We'll get into well, it some other time. You know, We're definitely going to have tomato. you back. Yeah. Well, well, uh, Hamza, please um, plug your socials before we. Uh... Uh, I'm not the most interesting person on social media, but I absolutely will plug. Uh, hey, Hamza Khan. Uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, heyhamzakhan.com. You can watch uh, uh, my series and a short film and um, hear news about the projects that are supposed to come out this year that will come out next year, hopefully, inshallah. And um, that's how you can find me. You can hit me up, ask me any questions you want, and uh, I may or may not answer depending on my mood. I'll answer. Uh, Faiza, <laughs> uh, I am at... At the colder shoulder, oh, the colder, cold, cold shoulder cat. Get it together, girl. (laughs) I look at that nap. I'm still super groggy from that impromptu nap I took before. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't that huge gummy you had 14 minutes in. (laughs) Nothing to do with. Man, I just did. I did that this past weekend. It was really nice. I need to hit up my friend for that info. But anyway, um. The Cold Shoulder Cat on Instagram, Cold Shoulder Cat on Twitter. Not really anything exciting happening on Twitter, but if you follow me on Instagram, you'll get updates on the episodes and whatnot. Um, so check us out, Mahek. And I'm Mahek um, on Instagram and on Nisi or on Twitter. I'm Nisi, and 
if you, one of you listeners are the nefarious owner of uh, the Instagram account at fundamentalist, please. Um, we'd like to offer you some not fun gummies. <laughs> maybe you, you a dollar can, or two. Maybe a, <laughs> even our a, profile back, please. a guest spot on uh, the yeah. episode and teach us how to do social media since we're so bad at it. And it could we also do still need a logo. Yes. Oh, so God. if you can give us our handle and a logo, then, you know, we'll give you a high five. Yeah. Um, Hamza, thanks again. And I look forward to recording the next episode with you here live in Albany. All right. Deep breath. Uh, deep breath. Thank you. Deep breath. It's going to be okay. okay. No, no comment. Um, but no, th- thank you both. I appreciate it. And uh, have a good evening. You too. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.